Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Milo and Gareth. Hello, chaps. How are you? Hello, Steph. Hello, Steph. All good. All good. Good, good. Yep, and tonight we will be taking a look back at the season thus far, aka delivering a half-season review. But before that, if you don't mind, a few words from your sponsors of The Game Is About Glory. Folks, we're here. Close season, mid-season, end of part one, experiencing FIFA's dream of a reorganised football world where domestic leagues can, lar- leagues can largely go and do one, whilst the game's guardians seek new ways to hoover more dirty cash into their fat, bulging pockets. Yes, the first ever Winter World Cup has arrived, and we will continue to deliver a show each week about the mighty Tottenham Hotspur as it happens, which will probably occasionally also touch on what is happening during said tournament, as we do have a lot of players out in Qatar. Some of us will be watching, some won't, but what we can all agree is that Qatar's approach to human rights and FIFA's corruptive practices must change. And look, uh, just to make it clear, our criticism of the tournament is directed at those running it and not the majority of Qatari people who desperately want the same objectives as all of us. Also, very important to note, England played Iran earlier today or earlier this week, depending on when you were listening to this. We hope that this game and the ones against USA and Wales provide an opportunity to spotlight the vitally important fight for women's and other human rights currently being waged on Iran's streets by tens of thousands of brave women and men who are standing up and need our awareness and support. Just to make it clear, Masa Amini and 325 other Iranians have been murdered for defending the sorts of basic freedoms we take for granted. Let's make sure we remember them. And amidst the football, amidst the chaos, it is our duty to speak up for these brave people in their respective fights for human rights everywhere. So I think it was an important thing to say, chaps, don't you? Yeah, agree 100%. Yeah, no, having, having, having the World Cup provides a fantastic platform for all of us to consider things and events and social issues and challenges around the world that we wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah. Agreed. Should I do a big tone jump now and move us into the week that was? Uh, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, I think we've uh, made up. I think. No, it's, I mean, it's important that we make it clear. But equally, I'm no good with tone jumps, and and your <laughs> tone of voice alone makes a tone jump wonderful. You just make everything better with that voice. Which, by the way, <laughs> I want to point out: someone who had never met Milo last week said that they imagined a Barry White figure. I don't know if that's going to get into this pod. <laughs> Maybe you'll cut it out. But I just thought it was wonderful that that. The warm anyway yes allow your warm tones to bring us into the week that was please um so we're going to kick off talking about lucas mora lucas gave an interview with flow sports club and spoke about his future none of this is new this is stuff he said before but uh mora's contracts up in the summer and although we have the option of another season lucas said man my plan to be honest i want to play football and i want to be at a club that allows me to play at a high level play in a good league play at a good level that's my plan i still have a lot of firewood to burn i'm 30 years old so i'm very young sorry i I just think it was a good it's good isn't it i still have a lot of firewood to burn (laughs) anyway sorry i interrupted carry on the the kind of slash and burn amazonian policies of uh, his political hero (laughs) bolsonaro come to mind there it's um... why am i laughing it's so true (laughs) you're right yeah (laughs) so my thought is to finish the season with tottenham try and win a title this season and, free of contracts, sit down with my family and listen to offers that will appear. That's when you analyse everything. Country, club, financial side is analysing everything and then make the best decision. That's my thought. But now I'm very calm there. If Tottenham want to renew, call cool too. A club I like a lot. I'm adapted. Let's see. 
let's hear what the renewal proposal. If they don't want to, I'll leave for free. And being free, of course, more proposals appear. So it's a matter of analysing and seeing what we decide. So what do we think? Let him leave for nothing or keep him for another year? I think the best case scenario is probably to sign him up on a new contract and then sell him and get the cash for him next summer anyway. Um, I don't see any future for him at the club. I think he's past his sell-by date with us. Um, for me, this year, where we've come up with lots of names for him in the, in the past, but the thing that keeps going through my head when he plays is, is Indiana Jones. So he's at the centre of all the action, but actually everything that happens happens completely despite him and actually nothing that he does actually contributes or makes much difference to the end end outcome, which is exactly the same as what happens to Indiana Jones' character in the films. Um, he's he's He'll go down as a cult hero. He'll go down as a, as, as a number of players who have scored really important goals for us, but not necessarily had a particularly prolonged career. If you think back, Alan Nilsson, Jonathan Woodgate scored winners in, in cup finals and his hat-trick is, is, is definitely on par with that one. Um, yeah, he'll be a cult hero, but he's, um, he doesn't offer much function to the team at the moment. And I think there's ultimately better players out there than him. Well, I'm going to take another view entirely, certainly hoping that Antonio will agree with me. I think that we should be looking maybe in the second half of the season and maybe next season to build a 3-4-1-2 with, uh, with, with Mora in the hole there uh, behind Kane and Son, where I think he could be a, a creative destroyer. Uh, he's definitely excellent on the ball. He's got great vision for a pass and we can I, I just am doing this to see what Milo's face is and he's just not going for it because he just knows I'm spinning it no I mean come on I wouldn't even be as charitable as you Gareth I wouldn't even give him a contract if we can shuffle him out for now then go for it we we, we got the moment from him we've had a couple of them thank you very much for those moments but there surely is no there's nothing nothing for him with us anymore no let it go Go and enjoy your football elsewhere. Thank you for Amsterdam. Thank you for a couple of other key moments. Was that a dry run for our Christmas special, Steph? There. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think there's a bit of brinksmanship going on from Mora here. I think because he, he he said the same in the summer, and I think he's basically trying to. I, I agree with you, Gareth. The best thing to do is to extend his contract by a year and then sell him and get a fee for him. Could we get a fee for him? Is anyone going to pay for him or are you just going to prolong the agony? Forrest is still in the Premier League, we will. (laughs) (laughs) But a a million's better than nothing, isn't it? How much would it cost to renew his contract to get a million, though? That's what I'm wondering. He's he's got a plus one on his contract, so it's exactly the same terms. We don't pay him anything. It's just uh, we just add another year to his contract. This, folks, is why I am still not rich. I just want you to know these basic uh, these basic fundamentals of economics have always been beyond me. So, I agree yeah. with both of you. Sign him and but, sell him. <laughs> but I, I think, Everton I think, definitely sign him. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we we extend by a year. We go for Anthony Gordon, who evidently we're still interested in, and send them Mora. You know, with his um, plenty of firewood to burn. But we're all agreed, Lucas Mora. Thank you very much for the moments. Off you go. Right. Yep. Yep. Excellent. <laughs> On Tuesday, Aaron Lennon announced his retirement. He has been without a club since being released by Burnley in the summer following their relegation to the championship. Uh, he played 364 times for our glorious football club in all competitions and got 21 England caps during that time, playing at the 2006 and 2010 World Cups. No mean feat. Uh, he joined us from Leeds for £1.2 million in the summer of 2005. I think that most of us assumed that he was going to be Wayne Routledge's understudy, but Routledge fractured his foot on the first day of the season. I was there. And Lennon took his chance and never looked back. Uh, he stayed with us for a decade before joining Everton. After Everton, he played for Burnley, and then he went to Turkey where he played for Kayaseraspor. Kayaseraspor. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Kayaseraspor. And then went back to Burnley. 
you just threw in Kyoserospore to see if I could say it. It's a yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, anyway, and in recent years, uh, you know, Aaron also took on the mantle of being a powerful champion for mental health issues, uh, and was bravely one of the first players to speak of their struggles, uh, which. Uh, may well be one of his greatest achievements of all. And I mean, he was a fantastic player who did an awful lot. Mm. But to speak of that stuff when he did was was massive and uh, and really, really good that he did. Uh, we wish Aaron a long and happy retirement. Um, chaps, oh boy, I love this question. <laughs> what are your favourite memories of Aaron as a player? I'll go last. Gareth should go first. Okay. Well, do you know, my, 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 my first memory of him is that he made his Leeds debut against Spurs at White Hart Lane in August 2003 as a 16-year-old. Uh, but what I had I had to remind myself is, is that he scored, I think, 30 goals for us, but never ended up on the losing side. And scored, looking yeah. down at his list of goals that he scored, they were all really important goals. So you know, very rarely was he scoring the fourth goal in a 4-0 League Cup win. A lot of the goals were, were really important ones, but I think we'll all remember the ones he scored against against Arsenal, whether he scored the 4-4 against them. Um he scored the winner against Chelsea in 2000. He's just going to sweep up every great memory from us, Milo. He's just going to take them all in a big list. I can see it. We're going to be left with nothing. I, I planned a generalist answer from this because I, I knew Gareth was on this week and he'd have it all covered, so I didn't need to bother. <laughs> I'm all vibes on this one. The, one. the one that I am going to go for, though, I'm going to give you a um, 94th minute winner at White Hart Lane against Liverpool in November 2010. He, um, he got on the receiving end of a flick on from Peter Crouch and put it past the Liverpool goalkeeper and that gave us a 2-1 win with, I think, virtually the last kick of the game. Um, but, yeah, very, very fond memories of him. Um, of course, he was a far better version than Theo Walcott as we reminded the pair of him on a number mm. of occasions. Well said. I think my favourite memories are when he first broke into the side. I mean, it's a, I, I really enjoyed that period at the club, although, you know, those teams that he broke into because it really marked kind of turning in our fortunes and we were improving after, you know, a period of being, you know, pretty flat for a long time. And I also think there's there's something about when a young player breaks into the side, and um, particularly someone with with Lennon's skill set, is that the opposing defenders didn't know how to play against him. And it was really thrilling watching him run at teams. And you, I mean, you even saw this with England, didn't you? And you think about the England, you know, his England caps, and you think about you know the options England had on the right at that time. And to, you know, to get as many caps as he did when he's you know when Beckham's around and you know you know you know others is, is is pretty good going. But you know he was in those England teams for a good reason because defenders didn't know what to do with him. And you know when he's running at running at you, it, it was just great that period where you just saw kind of blind panic in defense defenses when he got the ball because he was just so quick and so direct and it's that's good fun that's as a fan that's good fun and you put that in a team that was rapidly improving and actually just the atmosphere around the club was good at that time um it was yeah it was it was really good and he he was a part of that and yeah it's just I, i i've got really really fond memories of him as a player yeah, he was a very he was a very fun player to watch. He was a uh, very old school in many ways. Yeah. I mean, he was you know he was definitely what you call a jinker. Like you know, yeah. he'd, he'd drop the shoulder and 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 he'd and he'd, he'd, he'd do the old school thing. He'd take his man on, he'd beat him, and he could technically. I think he was underrated, especially as a finisher. I thought his finishing was actually exceptional for a wide player. I mean, he was a really, really uh, very accurate. Um, <clears throat> he was incredibly hard to read, as you say. Uh, I, I, I have to look. I have to call 
we've all you mentioned the Chelsea game, which was a, a great memory I have. Um, I mean, I remember shaking at the end of that game. I was so delighted we'd beaten them. You know, was, I was in the Paxton that day. But the, look, the one that will always leap to mind is the four-four Arsenal. I mean, that was absolute ecstasy. That's still the one football match I look at as a game we won even though the score said 4-4. That felt like a victory and it felt like Aaron Lennon had scored, you know, and it was one of the few moments I thought I might try and get on the pitch, actually. I was contemplating a run for the field at that moment, but it was, uh, yeah, he was at the centrepiece of a lot of great memories. Of course, the San Siro, I was not there, but, you know, you, you think of that. Mm. Um, so many, so many good memories. And, you know, another memory I have of, 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 of Aaron is uh, his exceptional eyebrows. Which uh, sat on 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 his forehead like two giant reminders. They always make, for some reason. I always just think of Groucho Marx, which is probably quite strange to our listeners that I sometimes looked at Aaron Lennon and saw Groucho Marx. Um, it's strange to me now that I say it, but all in all, he he just really did generate a lot of affection, didn't he? And he really felt um, he really he just felt Tottenham, even though he was a Leeds boy, and he and mm. he you know he was homesick for the first few years of his of his time with us. He really did feel like ours, even when he left. He always felt like ours, and he always got a great reception because of that. And you you talked about the good vibes, Milo. I mean, it's really to me. He played for several managers, but he's most synonymous with the Martin Yol era. For some yeah, reason, yeah. it just yeah, makes yeah. total sense. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's a player that not only did, did did what I think we all love, but I think we're all proud of him as well. Mm. You know, he, he he especially with we talked about it, his championing mental health as he did. I mean, he stood for something as well. You know, and he always got a good reception when he came back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you talk about him being old fashioned. I think he's a player. You know, probably the end of that that yeah. style of winger. You know, if he came through now. He'd be playing on the other side, wouldn't he? He'd be playing in a front yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, he'd be playing yeah. on the left. He'd probably get a lot more goals because he had a decent shot on him, but he'd be cutting it's into a stronger on, on his stronger foot rather than hugging the touchline and 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 crossing in. So you'd yeah. probably get a lot more goals from him. He'd be a real threat. You know, a, an eighteen-year-old Aaron Lennon coming through now, playing on the left-hand side, cutting in, and with that pace, would be really dangerous to play against. Yeah. And that's quite something to say, considering how dangerous he was to play against uh, in a quote-unquote orthodox position, as he did many, many times. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we do wish him a long and happy retirement. And, hey, I, I think we'd all love to see him show up at the lane now and again, just so uh, he could get a massive round of applause and we mm. could sing Super Aaron Lennon. So come and visit us, Aaron. We want to see you. <laughs> We're at the half-season review. We're here. The questions are set. The opinions about to be delivered so three two one we will start with what gentlemen were your expectations back in august gareth i, I don't for the benefit of those listening gareth's face is frozen on my screen in it's a pensive look on his face is frozen maybe that's how he is right now are you moving right now and i just can't see it i'm incredibly pensive all the time as you as you know but... <laughs> well how pensive were you back in august gareth <laughs> like, um, what were your expectations i was surprisingly bullish at the start of the season i think in my predictions i said that we'd finish second this year but i, I applied quite a scientific formula to my expectations this year so i expected us and i still do expect us to get 78 points this season which is about 10 percent upturn on on what we got last year uh so that means that we are scoring um just over two points per game to get that we're largely still on track for that so i think 78 points is 24 wins six draws and eight losses 
over the course of a 38-game season. So that's still very, very much achievable at the moment. Um, without knowing the Champions League group draw, I think all we could have ex- hoped for was to just to get through and to be in the knockout stages that we are. But as I'll come on to, as I'll come on to say, um, there's a real difference when you try and review what we've done so far objectively and subjectively. But I'll leave that as a bit of a teaser. <laughs> Back in August, I'm sorry, I remember us talking about it. And I, I don't think my expectations, so you know, dividing the season up into two, at this point, going into the World Cup, my, I, at the halfway point, I'd always want us to be in the chase for the top four. The point in the season where you want to push on, push, push on is the second half of the season. Um, so but to be there or thereabouts as you get to the halfway point is um, is, is my expectation. I think we're, yeah, results-wise, we're a little above that. Performance-wise, we're probably a little below that. Um, but yeah, I think we're more or less where I'd like us to be at this point in the season. Yeah, I, I expected to be in the top four for the uh, for the mid-season break I also expected us to be in the knockout um stages of the Champions League I thought we'd probably come in second in our group I actually always saw our Champions League group as one of the hardest ones simply because uh, it looked to me it always had looked to me like it was a, a very very upper level Europa League group and 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 we traditionally don't do well with those teams so I was th- I thought we'd squeak through it um, and I suppose, I suppose we did squeak through it in a way, didn't we? Because given that every team in that final ga- day was a uh, top spot at one point, but we actually exceeded expectations in the Champions League in the end because we finished top of our group. But yeah, I expect this to be, you know, fourth, top four coming into this moment. So uh, again, I think Gareth, as you've hinted, there are contexts and, and, and permutations which have taken place since our expectations and now that, you know, maybe deliver a slightly different route map as to how we've arrived at the fulfilling those expectations but you know we've matched them we've matched what i expected albeit i now look back and i realize what in my opinion a massive achievement it has been based on some of the things i think that we're about to discuss so you know i I suppose that leads us um to the next general thought which is you know you, you think of this first half of the season um, just your main impressions of how it's felt, how it's gone. It's been a bit stodgy, hasn't it? If we're honest, we've played well in bursts, but the, you know, I, lo- I was looking back through the results and looking back through the the games, um, kind of in preparation for tonight. And there aren't many that you look at there and think, "Oh, that was a classic," or "That was, you know, that was really good fun," or you know, it's it's been a bit of a grind. And yeah, you know, th- there are some high points there, but not many of them last ninety minutes. If any of them, actually, I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm not sure. I can think of a game where we've played well for 90 minutes this this half of the season. Yeah, you know, we can talk about the factors and that. Maybe that's the follow up question to this, isn't it? Um, it's been a bit of a slog, um, both for the players and for the fans. It hasn't been the prettiest, and um, yeah, <laughs> fun in short bursts. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's almost exactly what I've got written down in in preparation for this one. That I think in every game. I'm going to say, barring the Man United one, because I thought we were awful in that game. I thought we were we, we started badly and we, we got worse in that one. Um, but other than that, in every game, there's maybe been a period of at least 10 or 15 minutes when we played really well and probably probably yeah. scored. And, you know, that even I, I'd even include the Arsenal game in that one, because I think there was probably a spell of 20 minutes either side of half-time when, 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 we, were, when yeah. we were quite good in that one. Um, equally, in every every single game, there's been a period where we've been really poor. 
So Southampton on the opening day of the season, which I, I think probably was one of our better performances, or it was the one, it was probably the performance that most reminded me of the back end of last year. But even then, we were we, we were pretty poor for the first ten minutes and went behind in that game. So I think the eye test is telling me throughout the course of the season that we've started most games with a handbrake well and truly on. It's been a very conservative approach, both to team selection and to tactics employed. And largely where we've got results, it's relied on everyone being incredibly competent, 50-50 decisions going our way and just the the ball bouncing in the right direction. And I think as the season has progressed in the last few, in the last month, maybe, we've actually seen quite a few individual errors creeping into the team, which have really cost us. So we've been flying by the seat of our pants far too often and we've been found out on a few occasions. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a tendency to perhaps think that you know we've been lucky I, I mean I do think you do make your own luck to a degree and I think that one thing Antonio Conte excuse me that's my cold catching up with me I do think there's one thing that Antonio Conte has installed in us as a, uh, over the last year is fortitude so I think you know we have earned some of that luck and equally I'd say we've been unlucky in a couple of occasions but I can't disagree it has never been smooth there have been patches of brilliance uh patches of, of, of just immense immensely excellent smooth football uh, ironically one of the best passages of which resulted in uh emerson royale missing uh what would be a, a relative tap-in i think against leeds last week which surely would have been one of the best goals in the premiership had it happened so we've put moves together but equally we have sometimes resembled uh a wilfred owen poem i think um you know, bent double like old beggars under sacks, knock need, coughing like hags. We curse through the sludge. I mean, it has been a little bit like that at times. You know, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of the fans howling their indignation at White Hart Lane, which Wilfred Owen didn't put in that last bit. Uh, I did, but it has felt a little bit like that sometimes. We've just really been grinding it out, and uh, and I don't know. I mean, for me, there's there's. I suppose because I don't think it's going to be like that forever, optimistically, there's something strangely joyful about knowing that we could do it, if that makes any sense. Um, and it only makes sense if you look at the season as a full season, not a half season. Yeah. I think as a half yeah. season, you would definitely have to say, you know, performance wise, it has been spotty to say the least. But then you don't, you throw in the injuries. I mean, you know, we signed Richarlison you know, as cover for the front three, gone, sunny, gone. Our most important player, arguably, gone for what? How many games did Decky miss? 12, 13, something like that. Maybe he missed a lot of games. Six league games. Six league games, which just goes to show how important he is. And he missed what? He missed the Champions League campaign pretty much. So, you know. Romero's missed a load. Yes. Yeah. So there is mitigation, you know, there is mitigation for the, for the, for the sludge. I think. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago under Pochettino, up until November, was a bit of a grind. And Absolutely. we weren't playing our best football. And then we'd kick on. And, it, it, you know, he was definitely timing fitness to hit peak fitness around, you know, kind of New Year to kind of March period, partly because of the number of fixtures you have around that time of year, but also because that's when, you know, you need to make a make a burst if you're going to... Um, if, you, if you're going to achieve something. And I, I, I do wonder whether uh, Conte has done that. And part of the reason for our stodgy performances um, has been because we're trying to time fitness, because of the number of games we've played, because of the timing of the World Cup and everything to fit in there. And I suspect that the, you know, Gareth mentioned the kind of some of the lapses that have um, that have creeped in over the last few weeks. I mean, it hasn't been a trend all the way through the season, has it? It's, it's more recent, those kind of slip-ups. Uh, but I'd imagine that's probably what he's uh, he'll be most disappointed with because 
without those, we'd probably be a couple of points you know, better off as well. I mean, I think, and this is a discussion we're going to have in future weeks, I think that some of that most certainly sits with him. And it is a discussion we'll have at another date. I know we won't be getting into it now, but, <clears throat> you know, if you play certain players, you know, endlessly uh, w- without break, you are going to, that's that's attrition. That's the, 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 the product of attrition. So I think we've suffered a little bit there as well that, you know, was it? You read that alarming statistic out last week about Harry Kane, which is, I mean, jaw dropping. Yeah, in terms of the number of games he's played, I don't have it to hand mm. anymore because I <laughs> over, over overwritten last week's notes with this week's notes. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's a point I was going to make later on when we we're talking about kind of new signings. But the thing that I'm probably most disappointed of in the summer, I thought our squad looked looked stronger, but I don't think he's really made particularly good use of the squad. Mm. You know, really, and and I know injuries play a big factor here, but really. We've broadly known what the you know what the match day squad is, and, and quite often what the you know the first team squad is. There haven't been too many surprises there, and yeah, I mean I, I, we seem to be in the you know same situation we were last season. There's you know probably you know, fifteen players or so that he trusts, and he's trying to squeeze every last drop out of them, and the others only only really get a look in when there's absolutely no other option. Yeah, absolutely, and that's I think that that has to be factored in. I mean, it has to be factored into to. to to everything that we're talking about with this first half of the season and I mean it, that, I suppose we've sort of answered how much of an impact injuries have had we've just we've just kind of covered that Gareth do you have anything to add to that or well, just, yeah just just on injuries just elaborate a little bit on Milo's point there we can see quite clearly that he's got eight players who are really key to him so it's Lloris, Dyer, Romero, Hoiberg, Bentancur, Son, Kulisevsky and, and Kane and then it's a bit of a toss-up between Davis and, and Longley um, between Sess and Perisic and then between Royal and Doherty on the right-hand side. So there's only been two games when all eight of those have been available to play this year, which were the very first two of the season. Wow. And since then, at least one of them has always has always been out, injured. Mm-hmm. So Ben Tanker's missed one game. Um, that was through concussion. He missed the game at West Ham. Hoiberg missed one game, which was the Newcastle one. Kane, Larice and Dyer have played, have played every game. Sonny's missed two missed the last two and he was benched for one which I, which I didn't include within that um, I mean that's not to say I did look back I mean even last season when we lost to Brighton that was a pretty awful performance all eight of them did play then and all eight of them played I think at Brentford the week after so it's not to say that if all eight of them are there but we automatically win but I think it does make a difference oh, I mean absolutely the one that puzzled me was when he was benching Decky to play Richarlison on the right and playing the front three of Sun, Kane and Richarlison which and that and that point Sun was in a rotten run of form as well and Richardson isn't quite as fluid on the right and it really didn't it didn't really make a lot of sense to me then and it makes even less sense to me now when we've seen the kind of impact of you know not having Decky in the side and then him coming back and you know what a difference he makes yeah. but also I think you know if we've been you know Decky's early 20s Sun's 30 and if we've been rotating Richarlison and Sun on the right hand side you know well Richarlison was rotating with Sun and Kane which is what I think we thought was going to happen you know I, I do wonder whether we might have you know a bit more legs towards the end of this run of games and you know have a bit more in the tank I mean, it does again come back to a question which I think we're going to raise in, in, in future weeks, you know, where, you know, I think the manager most certainly, you know, has some questions to answer with regards to what his approach is to team selection and, and the squad that he currently has. Let me push this on. Uh, well, the question of Gian Piero Ventroni, the question is, has the impact of his death 
uh, on the club being underestimated by some fans and reporters. I, I think I'm on record as, I mean, I think you both know what I feel about that, which is most certainly, yes, it has been. Um, but uh, I'm interested. Do you think in general people didn't maybe uh, associate his importance to, I mean, not just the club, but also to Conti as maybe, and I've said, used this word before as a sort of a conciliary, like someone that, Conti would go and confer with when he's tearing his hair out. I mean, losing someone of that sort of, you know, uh, what was it, avuncular status, would that be the phrase? I mean, do we think that that's been a big factor in the last few weeks, few couple of months? I mean, I think, I mean, a number of the players have spoken about it, haven't they? So I think the impact on the players is pretty clear. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know on his importance to Conte. I mean, obviously they were close and obviously Conte has been, you know, devastated by what's happened. That's clear. But he hasn't always been part of his coaching setup, so I don't know kind of their relationship in terms of how they approach games and stuff like that is is an unknown to me. But even if they even if he wasn't a sounding board, you know, he was a fitness coach, so he I don't I don't know about that. Um, you, you would assume that there are others in the coaching setup who he probably talks around about tactics and and you know selections and stuff like that more. But he is someone he's known since he was a player. And, you know, was clearly, um, you know, very close to. And, uh, you know, he'd known of his illness when I think a lot of the other people involved in the club hadn't. And, you know, he'd spoken to him, you know, you know clo- close to the end, you know, in his, in his, I think actually on his last day, didn't he? I think he said. All of that stuff is bound to have a huge impact on him. And then, you know, as you also, you know, factor in that he's, his family are back in Italy. He's here on his own. All of that stuff must be very hard to bear and, um, and the schedule doesn't really give him any time to to come to terms with it, does it? You're bouncing from one game to the next. Um, you know, they flew back for the funeral, you know, immediately after a game, and then were back here the same day. I think, as you said a couple of weeks ago, grief is a very, very, you know, it affects all of us differently, and uh, I think it's it's just impossible to quantify. But you know, the club as a whole, the players have spoken about it. It's clearly had a huge impact, and yeah, I think it probably has been underestimated. That was a bit of a rambling response. Yeah. Well, I'm Con- sorry. Conte himself says that it. Con- Conte himself has referenced it several times, so I think we have to just assume that yes, it has made a difference. I mean, of course, it's a complete intangible, and we'll never be able to quantify in terms of how many points the team gains and performances, whether it is or not. I don't know whether you noticed that, or I don't know if you got a programme from the game last week, but within the in the inside cover where it lists all the club staff there, he, he is still listed in the in there with the you know the brackets with the years of his life in there. Um amongst I think there were probably two other fitness coaches within there as well and you know presumably they've been part of his smaller fitness team coaching team for a while as well so hopefully that you know that work and the ideas and the innovations are able to continue but um yeah can't add anything yeah, I, else to anything you said at i mean I, I and i think just to, to to make make it clear from my perspective i think that uh, i mean yeah yeah i i agree with you milo that he would most certainly um not have been going to uh ventroni for maybe massive tactical insights i mean he's got an army of people around him for that not the least of which uh the very capable christian stellini who by the way much kudos to him for the way he stepped up uh recently he's been tremendous i mean really very graceful actually um and uh, you know and and really really uh, just a really good ambassador i think for the club and for conte actually to be fair so I, i think yeah i think much more what i was thinking was you know conte strikes me as someone who doesn't actually take anyone's sort of personal counsel very much like you know he's not going to go looking and saying you know how am i feeling today 
to many people. And it just struck me that Ventroni was one of those people who maybe could have put a hand on his shoulder and said, hey, known you for a long time. You're spinning out of control here. Take a breath. Possibly. Just be mellow. And and so yeah. that was always the impression I got. And look, here's hoping that the break helps adjust. But I think, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that, you know, I think it was underestimated um, for sure. Well, certainly not now. Let's go to another uh, Gian, uh, but a Gianni this time. Um, his name is Vio and he sits within the stands. His name is Vio and he is our set piece man. That's a song that I thought would have done very well from, from, from the terraces. It didn't take off. I'm going to ask you, though, has the recruitment of Gianni Vio to the coaching team been a success? <laughs> it, it, it's rare to get terrorist songs about uh, about set-piece coaches, isn't it? You'd, I don't recall too many. So. <laughs> it would have been a first, wouldn't it? Yeah. Was I that Joan Duran, by the way? That's, yes, the yeah. spoken word version. Did you yeah. like it? The spoken yeah. word Duran Duran presented, as I would uh, like to say, in a sort of a very, um, you know, almost deadpan and artistic fashion. Thank you for spotting that, Gareth. Yes. <laughs> I don't get many of your cultural musical references. Some places did get that one. <laughs> very good. I'm amazed that you did, actually. <laughs> That's very good. Excellent. We are talking about Gianni Vio, our set-piece coach. <laughs> so help me, Gareth. Please tell me that you have the statistics that show just what an impact he has had on us. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> so we've got 10 goals this season from Corners. We've scored them within, that's, that's 136 corners we've had this year. So therefore, even my rudimentary math tells me that we need 13.6 corners on average to score a goal this year, which is fantastic. It's um, it's significantly more than any Premier League averages. And it's, um, it's also well above anything that we've been used to in the past. I mean, there's a couple in there that may be a fairly loosely goals from corners. I think the one we scored at Brighton, it was probably a second phase, but it does count as a as a goal from a from a corner I guess we've also got to add in there that having Perisic in the team's definitely helped because mm-hmm. uh, I think six of those have come from his deliveries from either right or, or left foot so having someone who can deliver the ball makes a massive difference I suppose where we hope this goes is a that we can sustain that in the second half of the season but secondly that maybe some of he can do some work on those direct free kicks because that's definitely a marginal gain that we could we could benefit from when you talk about kind of improvements in the team you know so obviously Perisic has made a big impact the team's taller as well and that particularly from corners that makes a big difference direct free kicks even good teams only score two, you know two or three a season it's not you know obviously they can be important but it's not we're not going to see a lot it's very true i mean there was this myth wasn't there that christian Eriksen was like a set piece master like a free kick master and i think what didn't he was it at swansea he scored twice in a it's game two at swansea yeah that was it and i think that's the that's what the legend is built upon right because it never really happened after that did it he scored in Juventus when we drew 2-2-2 two, two, two out there. He scored on the final day of the season against Everton. His best ever season for us, I think, was was three goals from from a, a direct free kicks. Okay. But, I mean, I guess the point being that it's easy for us to build these sort of legendary, uh, you know, uh, pr- uh, disproportionate memories of players who did pop yeah. a couple of real, real beauties in the far corners. Mm. But you're both right. I mean, it rarely bears out as being a consistent source of, of, of goals, does it? I mean, it's it's <laughs> you're lucky if you do get three in a season from one player. But if I you mean, think about how we were talking about this before, you know, we, talk, we were talking about um, kind of marginal gains. So, you know, obviously, if, you know, if we can 
I think Premier League clubs on average score one goal from a direct free kick a season. Um, so you know, if we can if we can bump that up to two or three, which is um, madness. Yeah, no, I then agree. that makes a difference. But I think we're more likely if you look at what Vo does, and it's mainly you know we've seen from from the corners, it's largely around. Um, the movement in the box and the runs we're doing there, we're more likely to see changes from indirect free kicks than we are from direct free kicks because there's just mm, there's just yeah. less you can do with that, and and you're still working with the same players who strike the ball in the same way. And a well yeah. a well struck direct free kick is really difficult to do because you, the ball's got to move in three directions. It's got to go kind of up, down, and left or right. And it's and you've got a very very small area where you can hit it, and I think quite often, you know, people we've all criticised Kane, but he's 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 trying to hit a postage stamp, and I think a lot of fans would probably be happy with a with a ball that went up and down, and the keeper had got a hand to it rather than one that was trying something you know quite difficult, which you'd never score from, but at least it's on target than something that you know misses the target, but it's it's trying to get it up in the top corner, which is about the only point where you can score from from that position. In pre-season, though, what we did see was um, us mucking around with walls, and um, I'm not sure whether we've had a, goal, a free kick in an opportunity in a position where we could try it, but we saw Kane do a, a couple of kind of grubbers along the ground, didn't we? Going under the wall as the wall jumped, he was going yeah. underneath, yeah. and we we had some men who got in the middle of the wall, disrupted it, and then split it um, prior to the kick being taken. I don't think we've had a free kick since in a position where we could try that. Doesn't then someone else lie down behind all that on the floor mm. and it pro- prostr- prostr- yeah, prostrates themselves? I mean, the whole thing becomes quite messy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we can fairly say that the, his recruitment has been a, a success. I mean, mm. it, it's, you know, I mean, the figures that you've just quoted, Gareth, uh, prove as much i mean it's, you know he's been a success and you and you have to think that i mean there was that statistic that was quoted uh, i think by us at the beginning of the season of you know over four and a half thousand like you know different <laughs> different mm. things uh different moves in his uh in his file so to speak you have to feel there's plenty more to come from him um, you've got to bear in mind that one of those is the corner taker picks their nose before putting the ball in the same place <laughs> or something like that it's mm. Yeah, I mean, there's that, but my, I guess my point being, there's, there's still, I think, plenty more to come from, from him, and I think there's some variations that we haven't seen. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I definitely. think it has been a success, and uh, it's, it's a nice attention to detail. Uh, so you know, uh, we've come to a point where I don't know. Uh, will you ask these questions, Milo? I'd, I'd like to hear it? you ask them. Go on, I then, think okay. I would. Right, I want you to do it because you, you have a very, um, I don't know. It, these are going to sound good coming from you. They're going to put you on the spot. <laughs> so, so, Gareth, are you ready to be put on the spot? <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Come on, then. Who's the best new signing this season? Do you want to go first, Gareth? Uh, this isn't an easy question, actually, because I think Perisic started the season very well, and you thought, wow, we've you know, really got a world-class player here, but I'm not too sure that his overall package, aside from set-piece mm-hmm. delivery and crosses, have been that great since then. I think Bissouma, we've seen a lot more from in the last month or so, but perhaps through no fault of his own, he hasn't had enough minutes. Um, Longley looks like he's got a mistake in him. He looks like he's probably on par with Ben Davis, which I think is what we knew when we were getting him. I think we knew we were just getting a player that we could alternate there. Um, I mean, the the, the Jed Spence mystery is, is one for another time. Fulton was in as a backup, has only played 90 minutes. And Richarlison, I, I still think, has got Gordon Jury vibes about him. So um, in that he'll try hard, he scored 
goals early on in his season so you don't necessarily pick up on the fact that he's not scored since then so I don't know that there's an outstanding outstanding new signing that I could say yet yeah, they've been brilliant they've made a real impact because I think I said the eight that we've um, the eight that he relies on are eight that we had last season I'll wade in I'll say I think Perisic uh, sticks out from all of those by proxy of what you said um, with the last set of stats that you offered uh, you know when you've got six assists from set pieces that directly lead to goals you've had a major impact on the team I also thought his display in Marseille um, was exemplary um, he really led I thought with it, with uh, that, that night with experience, never let it be forgotten. He got back and he made a very very important clearance with three minutes left um, uh, and blocked blocked a shot that looked goal bound. Um, I, I I I think he's I think he's been our best new signing of this uh, uh, out of all the players you've mentioned. I give it to him, albeit with the caveat, as I think we'd all agree, he's maybe not been as consistent as we want. There again, Antonio has been saying or had said that we weren't seeing the real Perisic for half of this run anyway because he wasn't the player he recognised. So he still gets it for me out of everyone you've mentioned. And that comes, I love Richarlison, but, you know, it's been a bit stop-start for him and he's never had a chance to really play consistently in his favourite position. He's been doing a job for us and I commend him for that. I think Perisic has been, if it was just in the final third or set with a dead ball, then it would be Perisic. But I think he's been poor in the rest of the field on the whole. Yeah, I think he's underperformed. By his standards, I would agree. Yeah, well, based on expectations. Yeah, you know, what I thought we were signing, you know, in the summer, I thought we were signing the perfect Conte uh, wing back, and that hasn't happened. He's not that. Um, or, you know, not on the evidence of what we've seen. I think age is showing a bit, and, you know, we need to be careful with his minutes. I, I think he looks good in the final third, but he's not particularly good in the middle third, and defensively, he's been poor. Um, he's not, you know, he can't. He's not picking up the ball in the middle and going past a man and and delivering a cross into the box and helping us play on the break particularly. But he, you know, he's got experience and and, um, and in the final third, he's very good. He's he's good at finding that extra yard, you know, um, or you know, deceiving a defender and, and finding space to get a cross in. He's really good at that. His set pieces are exceptional. Um, yeah. I agree. Basuma, I think, has looked good the last. Oh, actually, no, he was crap against Forest, wasn't he? He looked good against when he came on against Leeds. He's been, it's been really difficult. He's had, he's probably had three or four good halves this season. For me, it's probably between. It's a tough Long- question, isn't it? For me, it's probably between Longley and Richarlison. I think, I mean, but Longley's come in, come into the side so late in this run that again, it's difficult to say, but I think he's looked pretty good. Um, Richarlison hit the ground running and then, yeah, it's been in and out, in, out, in and out of the side. And I think, I don't, necessarily agree that um he's been played in the wrong he hasn't had a chance it's just that i think rather than i don't think the issue is on the right quite so much as him playing in a front three with in the same side as son i just don't think son and richarlison work in the same side because so yeah i don't know i think it probably goes to richarlison on on a coin toss for me but um it's not easy no Hmm. yeah i mean if i could just caveat signings in in general that historically it's very subjective that probably only 50% of signings now even that Alex Ferguson or Wenger made actually proved to be successes and it's far too early in all six of these players careers at Spurs to decide whether they've been successful or not but if you think just how good if you just think how good Ben Tanker and Kulisewski have been since January so you know we got two we got 100% of the signings that we made in January have been absolutely outstanding so statistically the next six that we bought then maybe only two of them are going to be ultimately successes as well. I was going to say, I, I don't think I don't think any of these players have been failures. You know, they've all had moments. They've all been. No. They've all had. They've all had good Not games. So. They've all. They've all had an impact. Apart from Jed Spence um, and Conte, I think is 
on the whole, again, he's a conservative manager. You know, with Basuma, he clearly, clearly was not giving him minutes until he was comfortable with what Conte wanted, uh, and you know, was comfortable with uh, the style of play and the automations. Um, so I'm sure all of these players will see more of in the second half of the season. But I, I, in the summer, I thought we'd really strengthened our squad, and that hasn't really been evident too much in the in in the games up until the world cup oh, i mean i look i i don't think yeah i mean I, I took the question at face value which was best new signing i don't think it's any insinuation that if you you know you're not considered the best new signing of this six months that you've been bad at all and, and again context i mean you've both offered a lot of context as to why some of these players are maybe have not had the chance to shine as much as they might have so you know it, it's absolutely that the, the, the door is wide open for all of them to continue their development and no doubt they will Who's been the most improved player? For, for me, it's going to be it's going to be Bentancur or Hoiberg. It's either of the central midfield players. Or that's um, I mean, Bentancur purely because he's just added goals, which wasn't something that he had in his locker at Juventus. We we weren't buying a goal scoring midfielder yet. We've got all of the bits that we knew he was going to be really good at, and now he started scoring goals in the last um you know the last month as well. And these haven't just been pot shots from twenty five yards. Um, these have been him getting in on the edge of balls on the edge of the six yard box and scoring goals. They're real strikers finishes that he's been getting. So I'm going to go with the easy answer and say Rodrigo Benton because he's been our most improved player. Do you disagree, Steph? No, I have very little to add to that. I think yes. I'd say that Hoybier pushes him pretty tight because he's also starting to add goals to his game. Yeah, no, I agree, Benton as well. I think um, since the kind of international break, he's really, really pushed on, and and, it, and particularly since Basuma's come into the side actually and given him license to get forward, um, he's been excellent. So come on, then, best young player, and we've struggled with this, I know, because <laughs> there aren't too many. So. Yeah, and I think with Conte, anyone who isn't due a testimonial is probably a young player, aren't they? <laughs> well, do you want to set? Do you want to set an age limit here? Because it is going to get tough. Do we want to, or do we just want to bluff it? I think probably should we say twenty-four? Is I mean, normally I'd say twenty-one, twenty-two would be the ceiling, but I think there's been so few players that fit the yeah. criteria. I mean, I mean, maybe I can do that just to gerrymander it. So you have to say Sessignon. Um <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, right. I think, I think, really, Harvey I mean, White's look good as well in, in, in his tracksuit top. I, I, I think, really, you probably have to say it's a toss-up between Kulusevski and and Cessnion because they're the only ones who are actually young. Could you could you give it to There's Brian? There's no tossing to be done there, mate. That's could, all. Could you, could you give it to one? That's a one to Brian for for about for about half an hour total <laughs> for winning the penalty against Frankfurt. This is a 21 year old, yeah. No, it is, it is pretty slim picking, so just for context. The only players Spurs have who are younger than 24 are Skip, who's 22, um, Hill's 21, Emerson Royale is 22, which is worth remembering, Romero, 24, Sessignon, 22, Kulosevsky, 22, Spence, 22, Tanganga, 23, um, Saar hasn't played a minute this year, he's, he's 20, and likewise, Harvey White is 21. There's not too much to pick for from that. So Emerson Royale's played the most number of games. So Royale, Kulosevsky, Sessignon, Hill. Are we having anyone else to pick from? I mean, you're not, you're not going no, to pick Spence gonna... off the back of 10 minutes against Forest, are you? A, a nine-man no. Forest. No, it's, it's, it's a skip start. It's, Skip's played, made nine appearances. He started two games in the Premier League, which isn't really enough to, to, to go on. 
I mean, look, it's pretty clear that Kulisewski is the best young player we have at the football club yeah. by a country mile. I mean, he's probably not just that. He's probably at this point, as has been proven by his absence, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And my God, we were fond for him when he finally came back against Leeds, weren't we? I mean, he's the most important player at the club in many ways. I mean, obviously, Harry probably keeps that that mantle, but he's right in there behind him. So he's the best young player. I will give... A controversial and honourable mention for Emerson Royale, who, despite his continuing deficiencies in the role, has improved as a player trying to execute it. I don't care what anybody says. He is uh, he is a better player than he was last season. He is not going to be the player that we need in that role. I appreciate that and I accept that. But I think that it would do us... I feel it would do everyone well to at least acknowledge that he's playing better football this season than he was last season. Maybe that bar is pretty low. I don't know. That's for you to decide. But Kulisewski, number one, honourable mention for Ryle. I think when I used to play cricket, you used to have a kind of clubman's trophy for the person who like, tried hardest <laughs> but wasn't very good. And I think that's what that's the award you'd be giving him. Sure. That's fair enough. I'd accept that. Sure. I would accept that. Best young, best young play, Kulisewski is the, is the easy answer. I don't think we need to look beyond that in terms of no. the number of games that he's played and the impact that he's had on the team. I agree, yeah. And he obviously had to deal with a fairly traumatic incident trying to get out the stadium last week as well and on those young shoulders with uh, <laughs> middle-aged men trying to attack his car coming out of Park Lane. Then trying to get a trying to hitch a ride up the high street because their Ubers weren't coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, best goal. Steph, you... I am... I'm torn between several. Uh... Sonny scored two against Leicester, which were outstanding. The first one that he scored was, was wonderful. He's just broken through, shrugged his man off, and just picked his picked his postage stamp, if you will. But I still love that second one, just because I love seeing Sonny just put the bend on that ball into the far left hand corner. I went, I went for the first one against Leicester. That Leicester hat trick. You got to bear in mind, he's, he'd come off a bit of a goal drought, hadn't he? And and everyone yeah. was on his back. So I think in terms of not just the quality of the goals. And I mean, I think the t- first one is technically more difficult than the second one, which is what edged it for me. But they're both very, I agree with you, they're both excellent. But actually, the um, the pressure he was under, I think actually kind of elevates them a little bit as well. I agree. But but the other goal that, but maybe the goal more than any that uh, this season, I mean, those are too technical. But the fourth goal against Leeds, I think I enjoyed the most mm. because it showcased everything that our team is about when it's flying, when it's flowing, uh, when it's playing to its greatest strengths. Uh, so many good little balls in there. Decky's skill, the cutback, the quick finish from Benton Core in the right place. What a beautiful goal. I mean, mm. and of course, the time it was scored, you know. So I'm going to, at a push, I'm going to give it to that fourth goal against Leeds. Yeah. Uh, so my my one, I'm going to go for Sonny's goal against Frankfurt at home, which was the volley. So from, mm. a, from a technical perspective, mm. it was I think Hoiberg pulled it back, and I mean that's yes. just one that you know us mere mortals don't air kick that completely, or at best slice yeah, it out, good. and it troubles the the fella sitting behind the corner flag. But yeah. to have hit that ball <laughs> so sweetly on his left foot um, as it's dipping. Was was it was an incredible feat. The um the only other one that I was going to mention that you haven't brought up so far was Hoiberg's goal against Fulham mm. when Ooh. he was capped off a very good mm. performance. So that was um sort of a mazy dribble inside the penalty area, and then he pokes it in the corner mm. from inside the penalty area. The other one, say from that Leicester game, was it was Kane's goal where there was a corner 
uh, Perisic played it to Decky, and then Decky kind of ran out to the corner of the box and then wafted in a really, really beautiful curling cross mm. to the far yeah. post and Kane was unmarked. Yeah. And, and it's all about Decky's yeah. cross, which was just yeah. inch perfect. And, and he yeah. was running away from goal at the time he, he put it in, which is wonderfully done. You've hit another one. You see another uh, another Decky-Kane um, combination was the goal against Liverpool. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, well, really it, yeah. good. So well, fast and just showcasing Harry at his absolute best. I mean, what a finish. Everything By the way, perfect, a game we deserve to win, in my opinion. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, no, we, we've, all, we've all initially answered this question at best goal through the prism of the actual scoring of the goal. But if you, if you look at some assists there, Kane, uh, Kulu for Kane, Liverpool was a great one. I mean, also Heiberg's pass for Sessignon at Bournemouth. Mm, what a mm, pass that was. That was it lovely, took out yeah. about five players. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've scored more goals than what is it? I think only Man City and uh, yeah. and them, right? Well, this have is, scored more. Yeah, goals, I mean, right? this is where you come back to that argument about objectively, what are the what, how does the season feel compared to subjectively? Because there's been lots of goals and there's lots of been really high quality goals as well. Yeah, which is slightly incongruous with with what, perhaps what the eye has, has told us when you've actually been at a lot of these games for these periods of it. What's the game you've enjoyed most? What's the, what's been the best one to watch? I'll go first if I can cut in Gareth. Sorry, I'm just going to charge in and just say it quickly and then take over. It's the Leeds game 4-3. It had everything, absolutely everything. That was more than full value for money. Bonkers and beautiful. Gareth. Yep, no, absolutely. That's what I've got written down here. It was a it was a classic throwback to sort of the Spurs in the 90s, early 2000s where Anything could happen. It just felt like there was no control over the game whatsoever. Um, it was very much attack, attackers, um, well in the ascendancy ahead of any defensive organization or, or, or shape about it. Yeah, just really enjoyable game. It's one of those that if you were watching it as a neutral, you'd have loved it. And of course, if you're watching it as a Spurs fan, you, you really would have enjoyed it for its finale. If I was going to cheat, I'd ask for the last 45 minutes of Marseille and the last 45 minutes of Liverpool and then merge that into one game. You could and... do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think that's perfectly permissible. I think those yeah. two, I think those I, I two halves... I think those two halves are the best we've played all season and we've really yep. pinned him really pinned them back and, and been really difficult and what I'm grappling onto for the second half of the season is that we can do we can cut out the mistakes. I'm I'm sure we're always going to try and control the first half and not we're not going to come out the blocks firing like that all the way through because I just don't think that the players could keep it up. But if we could be controlled and then up the ante and then have that for the last for, you know, 45 minutes, half an hour, then we're going to blow teams away and we're really going to get something out of the season. So, yeah. I go with that. I mean, look, I, I think in terms of pure performance, in terms of our quality of performance, I thought the Liverpool performance was probably the best of the season overall, yeah. especially when put in context of who we didn't have available. You yeah. know, that, that makes it, that made it all the more uh, impressive and uh, yep. it really was a moment where if if anyone who says that you know we've 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 had luck this season so on and so forth it was one of those games which certainly proves the old adage that you know luck does even out so because we didn't get any that day and the performance deserved uh, deserved I think performance deserved three points so yeah okay and who's been our best player go on, Gareth you go first well I'm going to say Harry Kane just because I know that one of you is going to say Ben Tanker. <laughs> what he said, but he scored a phenomenal amount of goals <laughs> already this season, um, despite not looking completely 100% fit or at his best. But the fact he can do that and he's so close to Greaves' record now, um, it's just a reminder of what a remarkable generational talent that we've got. 
It's, it's, you know what's really funny about what you've just done? You've just done exactly what I was going to do because I thought you were both going to say Benton Gore. I was going to say exactly the same about Harry. Um, uh, and I think it's really, really easy to overlook him and take him for granted and just accept that he does what he does week in, week out. Um, but when you consider he's usually playing with at least two people grappling him and holding on to him and chipping away at his ankles, I mean, he's, yeah, I agree. He's, uh, it's maybe his most phenomenal uh, half season yet in that sense because he's carrying so much but yeah i've got a the romantic in me has to say that watching our berbatov style uh midfielder really come into his own as the season has progressed has been just beautiful to watch beautiful thing so i'm gonna romantically give it that give it to benton core but i'm right with you gareth harry harry really should not be denied either so if we'd asked this at the last international break i would have said hoy beer because i think in the first that first block of games i think he was at, he was exceptional he played really really well benton kerr has stepped up a level i think since that international break and yeah. his ceiling i think has been higher than hoy Bier's in the the pre- previous run of games but i think as a pair they've been fantastic and you know they just they've got a great understanding and they play so well together and so I would go Benton Kerr, but it's it's um, there's not much between him and Hoybier for me, and there might be a little bit of recency bias in me giving it to uh, Benton Kerr over Hoybier. Okay, should we look forward? Do look forward now and yes. ask kind of flip of the questions we started with, really. So, what should be our target for the rest of the season, Steph? Maintain top four and get to at least the Champions League quarterfinals. I will be perfectly satisfied to be back in the Champions League next season and to uh, progress uh, to the. Uh, uh, the Champions League quarterfinals. My, of course, I will never let go of my optimistic belief that that is a tournament that we can win because anything can happen on any day and we're in the knockout phase and it's the truth. So uh, I want us to get 78 points this season. To do that, we've got to win 15 of our remaining 23 games. I think that shows that we've made progress and it guarantees that we finish in the top four. Um, of course, the big elephant in the room, though, is what's going on the other side of North London. And I think that's probably affected lots of people's views of how well we're doing or what our expectations should be, rightly or rightly or wrongly. But um, yeah, if we look, if we win 15 games of our remaining 23, it will have been a really good season and an improvement. Champions League wise, um, yeah, it's got to be at least the quarterfinals. We've got to get past AC Milan. And then FA Cup, anything can happen. My, my target for the rest of the season will be top four. Qualifying for the Champions League, that was target at the, at the beginning Cups are cups are a bonus for me. I think they're, they're a lottery. Um, Champions League a little less so. So yeah, getting past AC Milan and then it's down to luck of the draw, isn't it? Really, what are our chances of achieving that? Gareth, do you want to go first? You kind of answered it a bit by talking about them lot down the road, didn't you? Yeah. So the reason I've gone for points targets because it's something we've got more control over rather than saying top four. Because I don't think anyone anticipated that Newcastle would have hit the gas as quickly as they've done this year, and I think we can only assume that they are going to spend another fortune in. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, they're they're going to they're going to they're going to they're gonna splurge a whole load of more cash in in January. Um, Arsenal have got the momentum behind them, and that. I think that's going to be really significant. They would have to really fail. They would really have to drop off quite considerably now, not to get a very high points tally in the in the upper seventies as well. And you think Man City are going to be up there? It means we've got to keep Chelsea, Liverpool, and United at you know at bay. 
to finish in the in, in the top four, and you know who knows what they're going to spend in 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 January. So it is all relative. I suppose the the kind of flip side to that is that Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man United have been pretty inconsistent, haven't they? So it's it's difficult to know where they're going to go, and obviously Chelsea, you know, new manager in and. Yeah, unsettled back room. So again, yeah. it might be a little early for them. Steph, I think that we will achieve everything that I expect us to. That's good. Maybe not winning the Champions League. I accept that that's a fantasy, but I do think we will finish in the top four, and I do think that we will reach at least the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So I would say nailed on, hundred percent. We'll do it. Yeah, I mean, just to come back to how, how much of this is in our control, we've of course got to beat those teams. So at the moment, we've lost. Uh, Arsenal to Man United to Newcastle and to Liverpool and we drew with Chelsea. We all, we play them all again. We've got to make sure we take points off them. At the moment, if I look at the games that we've won, they've all been against sides, Brighton aside, in the bottom half of the table. So we've got to help ourselves out here and we've got to take points off those immediately around us. But the flip the flip of that is that most of those games against our rivals have been away from home. Yeah, it's worth so Liverpool and Liverpool and Newcastle. We, yeah. We were home games. United, Arsenal and Chelsea were all away. I, I think I finished it, a chance of finishing top four are good. Um, I think, you know, a number of a number of teams have started the season brightly. You know, I mean, you've mentioned Newcastle, you mentioned Arsenal. Um, it would be, you know, they do really well to maintain that through a whole season. Um, and, you know, it depends on whether we've held a little bit more in, you know, we've got a little bit more in the tank, whether we've got, you know, whether we have conserved energy and kind of the impact on the World Cup on squads. There's just, there's, so many unknowns, aren't there? So many variables. Yeah. yeah. So, which player do we think will most benefit from working with Conte during the World Cup, and why is it Jed Spence? <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to say Jed Spence will benefit if if Antonio wants to put the work in on him. I don't know if he does. I mean, that's an, that's an, that's an in, in, uh, an intangible. That's something I don't know. I mean, uh, certainly Jed Spence would be would benefit tremendously, but I don't know if Antonio wants to spend the time on him. But I do know he wants to spend the time with Eve Basuma, and I think Eve Basuma will improve tenfold working with Conte during the World Cup. I think it will be very helpful. Yeah. Well, I think Conte's system relies so much on wing-backs and only one of our five wing-backs is actually away in the World Cup, which is Perisic. So you've got Spence, as you mentioned. Um, we've also got Doherty's back there. Emerson Royale hasn't travelled and, and Sessegnon is back as well. So if we could get you know, 10% out of all four of those, that goal. makes a significant difference just because of the formulaic nature of the way that he wants us to play. It's a great point. I would say Spence because I think it's it, it's a problem position for us right back. He looks like the best solution, but I think you know within the squad what we've got available, he looks the best fit. But you know, I don't know whether it's like you said, Steph, whether it's kind of churlishness on on um, Conte's part, and um, or or whether it's just that it's a young player and he doesn't like playing young players, and he thinks that he's got another kind of um, three years of running up and down um, the training ground, learning what he wants before he'll play him. I don't know, but. Um, uh, you know, if you look at you know, the easiest way to improve the side in the second half of the season, it's a it's a, a right wing back who can get up and down the pitch and can deliver a cross and can beat a man, and he's the only one who can do it. So come on, then final question: Where will we finish? Fourth, fourth, third. The classic four four three formation there, as delivered <laughs> to you by the games of Mount Glory. <laughs> was that Stuart? That was Stuart Pierce's uh, first lineup, wasn't it? When he was uh, when he was dabbling in management. <laughs> That's the dream lineup of any manager, isn't it? That you can sneak a four-four-three out. Isn't You've it? heard that story, haven't you? About Stuart Pearce? No, go on. What did he say? Go on. It was when he was a caretaker, wasn't it, Gareth? I think it was, I think when, it was he was when he was at Forest. Yeah, it was, it was a caretaker at Forest, and he picked a twelve-man lineup, and his wife pointed out that he had one player too many in the. Um, Fantastic. Was it his first game? I think it was. <laughs> Fantastic. 
I like that. Well, you know, <laughs> I suppose anything's worth a try once, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good for Mrs. Pierce for keeping uh, football back on track. Who knows where it would have ended up if Stuart Pierce had got away with that one, right? But anyway, that being said, um, thank you. Thank you for taking over the last bit there. I think it's quite fun. I think it's fun to flip it around now and again with you asking the questions. I think it's a good thing. But uh, yeah, anyway, so that was a good one, chaps. And, uh, you know, folks, we are going to be back next week and every week, not with some old guff, as is written here by some... uh, some penman, but with wonderful insights into the beautiful world of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and uh, various other things aside. Um, you know enough. that. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you know all this because you like our pod. And obviously by now you've written on, on your social media how much you love it. And oh, what you haven't? Well, get to it. Get writing now. Tell everyone on social media how much you love us because it does help us pick up new listeners and grow. So thank you for joining us. And we will see you next week.